Hi, Slip Angle listeners. This is Rob from Fields Auto Works and Fields Engineering. We're really excited to be supporting great content on Slip Angle, and we hope you'll find your way over to our social media pages to see some of the exciting work that we're doing. Fields Auto Works has Cardinal Coupes being delivered and Scioto Coupes in build for testing this summer, with more exciting models on the near horizon. If you're ready for supercar performance for under $70,000 or professional prototype speed for under $150,000, stop by FieldsAutoWorks.com to see what we offer. At Fields Engineering, we have openings for major builds, arrive and drive customers, and medium to large engineering projects. We have capabilities ranging from whole composite body scratch builds to 3D scanning and printing to trackside support. We're also thrilled to be supporting regular guy racing with Colton Wade driving in GLTC and the exciting new Future Frontrunners initiative to promote women in club racing. As a Fields customer, you get the combined experience of IndyCar builders, IMSA veterans, aerospace engineers, and lifetime racers working on your next big endeavor. If that sounds like a team you're interested in working with every day, you can also contact us about our open shop positions. Find Fields Auto Works on social media and at fieldsautoworks.com, and find Fields Engineering on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. zero in kentucky too yeah uh like minus eight or something good grief minus eight at my house the husky won't come inside he's still <laughs> is he still outside he he comes inside like he takes breaks coming inside and then he goes back outside and rolls around in the snow oh what a happy puppy uh my dog is not stoked <laughs> Mine is being reminded of his Siberian homeland that he's never seen. He loves that's, uh, that's cool. That's good. At least somebody likes it. I uh, I thoroughly didn't like it, but I did put my snow tires on my wife's car last night. And brand new snow tires. Drove them around today. And uh, new snow tires are, they, it's, they're almost too good, especially for the first real snow of the year. Because you are so much better at being a driver than everyone else on the road that you feel like a god. <laughs> It's uh, potentially dangerous. <laughs> you feel like the rally king of Chicago? Yeah, literally. You're like, everybody out of my way. I got this. And you do. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> hey, Abe, Abe, I just want to note a moment. I think we just we just had a moment. Adam does buy new things, just not for Adam. No, not for Adam. Yeah, for that, Adam. no, that sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's not necessarily true. Uh, Adam, I put him on used wheels. Though. Adam, Adam got some new <laughs> suspension. Uh, I don't have those yet. We can, uh, we let, let's lead into that. Um, and it's too, it's too soon, Abe, because that's all my fault. It's and yeah. That's, too- that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about, uh, Scott's modern muscle car uh, fetish for the past few years. He's had a couple of cool things, currently has a cool thing. It's always for sale, it seems like, uh, and then bought another thing recently. We can talk about that. Um, he cost he cost me slash us a bunch of money. Um, 
because he let me drive. He made me drive his CRX. Uh, he and Renee had this cool CRX, which they just sold uh, on MCS doubles at Lime Rock. And I talked about it a little bit, but those shocks blew me away. And I really like my fortunes. I like really like them. And those were like so much better at sucking up a bump. And the fortunes are like really good at sucking up a bump. But those MCSs were ridiculous. Um, so I guess we could yeah, lead so, off there. Why did you break me? And why are you costing me money? Because yeah, I might be buying a so thing. <laughs> normally, when someone drives someone else's race car and it costs them a lot of money, which happens a lot, it means oh, yeah. they crashed into something or they've money shifted. But in this particular case, the setup and the shocks on my car scrambled your brain and made you and cost you a lot of money. Well, they, it's it's like my my car was really good and it still is really good. And I'm be, I'd be totally fine with leaving them. And then because um, I can't buy I can't buy uh, MCSs. Uh, like what's an MCS triple? Uh, I don't know, seven thousand bucks or something crazy. And and. And uh, I might have had a little bit of help from uh, from some uh, from a podcast, money wise. I might have sold a lot of things also to justify it in my mind leading up to this. Uh, but MCS, uh, our buddy Blake, um, really good buddy of yours. I got to know him through you, Scott. Uh, this is Scott Giles, by the way. We even introduced him. I don't know if we did. I think people know uh, the sound we, of Scott's yeah. voice. Yeah, GLTC comp uh, evaluation slash operations slash I don't know but whatever else we'd like the other me when GLTC happens. <laughs> my bo- my boss is my my grid line boss is mean and demanding, so my job is whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's your wife and me are kind of your bosses, I guess. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the our buddy Blake, I, I texted him like after I got out of the car, and I was like, those things are really good like what is a set of these costs and he's like i don't know and they're like i didn't hear from him for a while he's like i'll figure it out and i was like oh geez he better figure it out and it better be too expensive and then they made me uh, like a pretty good deal that i'm not supposed to talk about um but i think i might have gotten it because we talk about it <laughs> so, there's a discount um and full, full, you know it, i'm paying a lot of money for them still so. But yeah. so full, but full, full technical full technical disclosure. They're they're in they were in their MCS double remotes, right. front and rear, and uh and they're even more fancy MCSs than that. But those things are something Nuts. else. There's some Nuts. sort of voodoo pixie dust sprinkled on them or something. I don't know. But when you're driving the car, then they like they make other people. It, it's so now I know about like my whole racing life when I didn't have the money for the nice shocks and stuff. And I would be talking about the bump and other people go, what bump? Well, that's, if you have MCS remote doubles, you're the what bump mm-hmm. guy. Cause the car is just good everywhere all the time. Curbs, potholes. It doesn't dirt. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care. It stays stable. It doesn't do any funny stuff up underneath you. And it's it's pretty like I don't have an explanation for it. I don't know the technology behind it. I don't understand it. I don't need to. But they're um, like if you're serious about your thing and, and granted, now they're expensive, but there are way more expensive shocks out. There oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That that exists. But if you're if you're pretty serious about your your racing motorsports game you really need to give them a thought because they do 
they're weird. Like the, there's a there's a bunch of similar stuff. You know, you got Motons, you've got um, a lot of similar things, like really good high end shocks built by really good people that know how to make really good shocks. JRZ, you know, there's a ton of Penske's. Like there's a ton of stuff out there. A lot of shock stuff seems to really come down to like you can make you can make a cheap cheap parts do amazing things if you know how to make them do that. Um, like there are people that revalve, uh, like Megan coilovers and put like good guts in them with good fluid and good seals. And like, they make amazing coilovers out of whatever, but you're paying for the knowledge. And I think MCS has a pretty good staff. It seems like, um, you've, you've known Trevor there for a long time too, right? And I think Trevor's been on the show before, right? Yeah. Trevor was on the show from PRI a bunch of years ago. Yeah. I've known Trevor since. Uh, we all lived in Atlanta and he was a teenager driving a go-kart actually. So yeah, we've, we've all been connected for a really long Trevor's built cages and cars that I've had before. So has Blake. Um, everything is kind of all webbed and connected in some, some sort of way, but yeah, they're, they're, and, you know, I really like that, you know, those things are assembled and shipped out of Atlanta, Georgia. And and if you have an issue with it, they'll take care of it immediately because you're talking to someone in Atlanta, Georgia that races cars themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a pretty cool connection to have. So, yeah, I, I've had MCSs on several cars now, including our autocross car. And they're just they're fabulous. They really are. Yeah, your 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 first gen CRX that you actually sold to Blake recently. That was the only first gen CRX to ever get a set, right? No, they're actually out there now. That our ours. Was oh, oh, they did. Prototype. They did start selling them. Okay. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, you got to order them and wait because they don't stock them because there's right. not that many of those still racing yeah. out there. But they used uh, Trevor used my car to prototype them, and because it's it's pretty pretty different on a first gen crx because it's strut torsion bar front end and uh and the rears are really similar to all the old hondas but like the fronts are super short strut like it's the shortest strut i think besides like an eclipse yeah they're super short and they are a serious load bearing member so they're beefy like the shafts are massive on those things for you know for a 1600 pound honda that thing's got massive shocks on the front because Mm -hmm. that's what's holding up the car on the front end and and handling the lateral loads and everything but um yeah we i mean we got in the past uh, i mean for those that don't know we've renee and i've had a nationally competitive multiple national autocross event winning uh, first gen CRX for a long time ran in the F street prepared class. We prototyped the MCSs for the front of it, but we've gotten so busy with grid life over the last three years since GLTC started. We don't autocross anymore. So I don't do, uh, I don't do anything anymore went, to be honest. After a little bit of discussion to Blake Meredith and him and his daughter are uh, co-driving it in local and national autocrosses down in the Southeast. And the deal has been made that when we have time and we want to drive it, we can still drive it. So we sold it, but we didn't really totally sell it. Mm-hmm. It stayed, stayed in the family, which is about as perfect as it gets. But you just get to have Blake go through it and take care of it. And then once in a while, you could probably drive it as much if you wanted to. <laughs> don't, don't give away my nefarious shit that I did in the background. <laughs> Blake, Blake knows what you're doing. <laughs> did you see, did, I'm, I'm probably going to record with him in the next day or two. Did you see that he's going full Blake on it? And like, he took the whole thing apart and is painting, painting it all pretty and. 
Totally, totally knew he would because mm-hmm. only Blake takes a car that top packs then won the last event that it ran at and takes it completely apart. That'll happen. That's That'll happen. What, what you expect out of Blake. We didn't expect anything different. Um, but, so, yeah, you, you broke me with MCS doubles, and then they were like, the triples aren't that much more. You should just buy those. <laughs> wait, so you bought triples? Wait, wait, they, 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 they <laughs> yeah. upsold you, Adam? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that much more. <laughs> that's... That's more knobs than you can handle. You don't know what to do with all those knobs. No, but, but it, it'll give me a project. Um, and then I think I'm going to get, uh, since Fortune gave me a great deal on the 510s, and I really like them, I think, uh, I think they're going to a local buddy who didn't really race last year, but he raced GLTC one weekend or two weekends. I forget, uh, Levi Brown. So I think he's going to put him on his EF, which is cool. So. Yeah, I miss Levi. Levi. I haven't talked to Levi in ages. He's he's got his GLTC comp license. Yeah, he took a year off, basically. He drove Honda Meet like a little bit, I think. Or maybe he didn't. He might have just brought the RV out to sit around. I forget. I haven't seen him since 2021, I think. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, he was at Honda Meet, but I don't remember if he drove. Um, he had a bunch of wiring issues with the car uh, at the end of 2020 or 2021, I forget. Um, But I caged his car, I want to say in 2020. But uh, I don't remember. Yeah, me and Kyle did it. That was man. That was the last cage I did. So, but anyway, so you, yeah, you, you, broke, realize, you broke me. Yep. I know, and you realize all of this means there's more braking to be done. You have to work less and race more now because you can't put super fancy shit on your car and then not race it. That's oh, not oh. right. Well, as, me, like, as I was making this purchase, much, as I was making this purchase, I was thinking to myself, "Hmm, I wonder if this is the difference between Adam running in the top tier or not." And then I was like, uh, nah, probably not. But, uh, but we, we did, uh, we did hear a bunch about, uh, and if there were people like complaining about the price of shocks in GLTC, especially after like Zach Lavoy basically, uh, blamed his really good shocks, uh, for like, it was like a five or eight average position, uh, finishing position higher. He was like, it's just the shocks. They're amazing. And that kind of pushed me over the edge, especially, especially with the, uh, friends and family. Maybe they're building a lot of used parts like they did yours. I don't know, but the friends and family discounts uh, from Blake. I listened to his uh, track walking. I really enjoyed it. And that was a really fun one. Zach is so fun to to listen to talk. Yeah. Like he's so, his story is great. We got to have him on and like talk about, uh, I talk about all the cars and all of his dad's stuff. I don't think we really got into that. The no, first time I don't think so. Um, I was listening to the show on the way up to Chicago last weekend, and I heard him mention my name, and so I turned the volume up and had to listen to what he said. <laughs> That's the only time you listened? <laughs> no, I mean, I listened to the whole show, but... Um, no, it was a really fun show. Might, really fun. That might have been the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard you say. No, I, I mean, Scott, you must not know me very well. Yeah, uh, I just don't usually pay attention to what you say, so I'm, I'm dialed in now. Oh, man, that's harsh. I know, but he started. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, enough about the crazy shots. Yeah, um, I discovered about Zach and just in chatting in the uh, paddock. Zach lives now and grew up like five miles from where I grew up. And like he still lives near my mom. So, um, so, and I grew up a long way away from where most grid life events happen. So, Zach travels a lot. And he drives too. He doesn't enjoy flying, I I don't think, right? 
It's it's only because they won't let him carry on his like hanging lounge chair that he dangles off the back of his truck. So he has. <laughs> so yeah, I broke you with shocks. Sorry about that, but you know, honestly, I wish I'd had my phone out when you got out of the car that first time you drove it because you just you got out of it and just stood there looking at it like, what was that? Like, what yeah. just happened? Like this was not right. I think you probably called Blake before you took your driver's suit off. I, I did text him like as I was taking, I was in the tent taking my suit off. Um, and I was like, how much are those shocks? That Like you, you remember at Lime Rock, like before you do the downhill, there's the, there's like the raised up curb portion off to the right, like yeah. as you're blending right before you go under the bridge. Right. And like twice I was two or I was like two or three cars wide up there. And like, I would just put the car up on it. And like, it didn't even, and I remember doing like a, a ride along with, it didn't even upset the car, but I did a ride along with the track operations manager, Stephen Sewell, um, in like his, in his Cadillac or whatever, like several times, like each, each visit. And we would talk about aspects of the track and I'm, I, I'm thinking about what I want to talk about in the driver's meeting and all that. And I remember multiple times looking at that curb being like, oof, that curb looks wild. Um, and it's like, it's a, it's like a pretty good curb. It's like a curb you'd hit, like driving into the average driveway, you know? Um, and it's on the unloaded side of the car, which helps, but like, I took it at a pretty good angle a couple of times and like the car just didn't care. And it just blew me away. I couldn't believe how it just, they're, they're like the most digressive high speed compression, like feeling shock I've ever felt. Like it just ate curbs and it ate dips real well um which which very which impressed me a lot so and then yeah i, I did the not think that i would be buying them and uh yeah yeah well fair fair warning those they they have a lot of clicks in the adjustment and one click does something so okay. like don't like when, you, when you're out there if you're like oh well i need to i need i need to get this thing to rotate a little bit more don't don't go putting like six clicks of compression on the rear it's too much yeah, and last week I was I was text after I listened to Scott Scott and Seth uh, interview with uh, with Zach one night I was texting with Scott Robertson and he was like oh I'm getting a set of doubles from him they're on the way <laughs> or he's he's gonna order them or whatever uh, yeah he, he every, I think everybody's uh, uh I, t I talked with Blake a bunch at or a bunch after PRI and he was like we talked to a lot of weird life drivers <laughs> so wait um uh. Zach said he uses, does he use Moton? Yeah, I think he bought, he put Motons on the car midway through the year. Um, Andy has Motons. I know that. I think, I think Tom did too. Uh, Luke has Penske's. This mm -hmm. is a bunch of like fancy shit for grid yeah. life GLTC drivers. It's, it's getting a little dumb. It's getting a little dumb. So. <laughs> yeah, but you know, let's just go ahead and talk again about how you cannot control. Like if people want to win, if and if people want that little bit of advantage that they can get, and this mm -hmm. has been done and redone and redone again, you tighten the rules up and people find ways to work around it. Like if you, well, we can make a you can't you can't even have adjustable shocks, and people will just spend a lot of money to have custom non-adjustable shocks. Well, so yeah, look at what, what I would David say, Whitener did for for EFs. That's the yeah. stuff I ran forever, um, and it was based on basically in the old PTE rules. If you had adjustments, you got like a bunch of weight. 
So he basically bought Motons, sorted the sorted the car out in an autocross environment and on the track, and he had a couple different versions, bought a shock dyno, put the Motons on, spent a bunch of time replicating non-adjustable bill stains to do the exact same curves. He just made Motons out of bill stains. So, yeah. That's the hard part. You can't, yeah, you can't. I mean, that, that's why a competitive spec Miata costs you more than 50 grand. It's everything about it that is very very highly regulated is perfect and it costs a lot of money to make perfect stock parts and arguably you get it's less money and you get better performance out of just instead of spending thousands of dollars to make a perfect non-adjustable shock just go get some ncs's mcs's bro just just do it so adam what i'll say is um (laughs) yeah the money that people saved by not buying hoosiers this year i told you that it wasn't going to change anyone's racing budget all it would do would mean that they would put that money in some other thing and mm-hmm. uh, shocks might be that thing. I think a lot of people also spent the same amount of money on tires because they bought a set, tried a different set, tried a different set. The, the only real advantage to, to Hoosiers was like you just knew what shocks you wanted to have or tires you wanted to have because they were the best tires. So absolutely. Yeah. That is, That's that the only the real advantage. Bon- the absolute bonus to Hoosiers is yes, they're expensive and they wear out, but the the tire to have five years ago is still the tire to have right and when you're running street tires you the, the tire to have can change well as we well know a couple of times in a season and now everybody's having to do testing all over again so yeah, that's the problem. or and the rules makers are having to figure out ah crap is that too fast do we so yeah i mean i get it street tires I don't think anybody spent less money. They might have done more events. They might have bought fancy shocks. Um, they might have bought more street tires and more di- more different brands of street tires. But I don't think anybody really spent less money. That's not what no. race car drivers that want to win do. No, they just prioritize one thing or another. So. Yeah, they just divert <sighs> the money. Yeah. Like, okay, great. Now I don't have to buy Hoosiers. Now I can buy Motons. Ta-da. Yeah. And they probably had yeah. good stuff already, and they were going to put the Motons or the MCSs or the Zetas or whatever your pimp shock du jour is. They were going to put it on eventually if they didn't have, or they had a lesser version of it and they're upgrading it, you know? So, yeah. Yep. And so, and now, and, and this is just the natural progression of race cars. The complaint of costs to compete has moved from Hoosiers to shocks. Yeah. And that'll eventually. <laughs> move to something else and it'll eventually move to something else and yeah and that, what's next uh, you're not allowed to have coaching uh, you're not allowed to test more than three days a year like it, at some point you just got to end and say well it is what it is racing's hard and it's hard to win so we're going to have sealed k24 z3s built by one shop and no mm-hmm. no we're not going to do that no <laughs> no no probably I not that. we're not going to do that Nope. No, 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 no sealed engines. Cause then, then somebody will buy seven engines, put them all in wheel, wheel horsepower, test all of them on the dyno and it'll be a mess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, Scott ruined me on pimp shocks. Uh, I got problems. I'm going to talk with Blake about uh, remedying my problems. Uh, soon he said the work order has been put in. So <laughs> remedying my problems and creating new ones. Uh, so you did that to me. Um, you had, you had a, you had a crazy Camaro. What happened to your crazy Camaro? What was it? And, uh, and then what did you replace it with? 
So the Crazy Camaro was a 2019 ZL1, not a 1LE, because I intentionally wanted a car that was good both on the track and on the street. And the 1LE is a strict trailer queen to the track and back on a trailer kind of car because it's just too stiff to drive on the street. Or especially if you live up north where there's potholes and crap, you can't drive a ZL1 1LE off the showroom floor and through a pothole. You just can't. They don't, they don't do that. So I had a regular ZL1 with the with the super pimpy magnetic shocks and big, huge Brembo brakes and Recaro seats and 650 horsepower and 650 foot-pounds of torque, um, six-speed. It was, it was so fast. The car was dumb. It was – I remember you told me at um, – and again, it's one of those cars that you don't even have to drive it hard and you're going fast. Like mm-hmm. you can put a good safe 70 to 80 percent behind the wheel and you're just passing everybody out there. It's a little bit crazy. Um, but I remember you told me you were working grid at Road America. And after I came in one session, you go, your car accelerates up the hill on the straightaway at Road America like the hill is not there. It was so noticeable compared to everything else. Like you're with an S2000, right? Coming out of 14. And like there's two or three city blocks between you and the S2000 by the time you get like to the towers. <laughs> it's it, it, it was just plum crazy. I mean, I truly believe, and obviously this will never happen, but you really – the average – like that – I've got almost 30 years of experience, and that thing frightened me sometimes. It was just fast. It was ridiculously yeah, – yeah. a huge top end. Um, like you, you, you can't mess up the brake zone in that thing at the end of the front straight at road America, or you're going into the woods I mean, you're, you're going that fast. And I do really believe that the average car buying person in America should have to take some sort of track performance driver's ed before they're even allowed to buy one of these things. Cause it's a missile. I mean, it's, no, see, it's a, a 4,000 pound missile too. So I agree with you completely, Scott, but this is America and uh, I have the right to end my life with uh, wanton indifference. If I want in my stupid car and no government <laughs> is going to tell me that and I you can also take a bus full of nuns out with you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I can I have the right to take you with me because I do not know what I'm doing and I'm leaving cars and coffee, damn it. Yeah, right. But yeah. speaking of cars and coffee, now I have a Mustang, which well, is the terror well, of all what happened what happened with the Camaro? Why don't you have the Camaro? So here's the deal with the Camaro. The Camaro was fabulous and I really liked it. And pretty much every time I drove it, I got out of it thinking, God, that would that thing's crazy. Um, but then I got offered way, way, way more money than I paid for it after owning it for almost two years and putting like 8,000 miles on it, a bunch of track events. And I kind of had this moment where I was like, well, okay, this is never going to happen again in my life. So I let it go and basically made enough clear profit off of just owning it and selling it to completely pay for the CRX. Yeah, which came like, a, like a real race car, <laughs> a real GLTC yeah. race car. So, yeah, the CRX was purchased, and it, that was a Blake build. Um, it, was, it was a salvage mobile that sat in a storage container that Blake rebuilt. Um, but it was a race car. It was an absolute race car, and it, need, it needed some love and care and um, but yeah, I, I made enough profit on just the ownership of the Camaro to pay for the CRX and have a little bit of money left over for tires, which is really just silly. 
And I do. I mean, it was a great car. I miss it. It had a couple of, I mean, you guys own this podcast. So I don't know if you want to talk about my, my complaint about uh, six gen Camaros and um, no, I, I would, the, the there major, are lots of reasons major not to like six gen made it Camaros. easier to get rid of. Yeah. No, I think we've talked about it. I think uh, you're talking about helmets through the window. It's, it's two things really. If you put a helmet and, and I, I, I was never able to find a helmet that fit through the passenger or driver's side window of those cars with the windows rolled all the way down. So the opening, the window opening is not big enough to put a helmet through. So if you have a crash and the crash is severe enough and you have a 650 horsepower car. So if you hit something, it's going to bend shit. And let's say you have a crash and you get a little bit dazed and your door won't open. Well, now you have to have the wherewithal about you to take your helmet off before you try to crawl out the window or you're just going to get stuck. And hopefully the car is now not on fire while you're stuck trying to figure out how to get out of it. So the window gap thing is an issue, but then there's that ice mode ABS thing that just keeps coming up over and over and over again about suddenly you got no brakes. And my ZL1 never did that to me, but I know of a bunch of people with Camaro SSs and ZL1s that say that it did. And that's the thing where you just, it's the ABS system and all of the planets line up a certain way and you hit the brake pedal as hard as a rock and nothing happens. And that's not cool. That's not cool on a 650 horsepower. That's not cool on a 150 horsepower car. This is really not cool on a 4,000 pound, 650 horsepower car. So the car was brilliant. It's super fast, handled great for its size and weight, but it had two safety flaws that were a little disturbing. So, so I miss it, but I don't, I'm not, makes uh, of course I'm not involved with the programming of ABS units in cars. That's not my job, but I guess we know people who are the, yeah. the interesting thing is in my regular job, I am at least partially responsible for the, like the design and production of miniature chemical reactor systems and miniature in this case is like uh, the size of a phone booth. The, the funny thing is we have to design um, like safety interlocks and uh, electronic control systems that would uh, basically be mechanical overrides for software control. And in this case, it, it, they feel similar. Like I, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where some kind of software programming would disallow the brakes being applied Um in such a manner that like would prevent the car f from stopping. It seems like just such a massive oversight to not have some kind of uh, safety system in place where like if you're panic braking in a situation or threshold braking that uh, the car would say, now we're not going to do that. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we know, I mean, we, we, we have buddies that work on that stuff. If you want to do a podcast about it, I don't know if they're allowed to talk about it on a podcast, but you reach out to them and talk to them. Adam, Adam knows who those buddies are. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on what they're working on right now, I guess, and whether or not they could talk about it if that non-disclosure agreement doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. But I agree. It doesn't make any sense, Abe, but I think it's happened enough at this point that we can declare that it's a thing. Uh, it's happened at our events. It's three times, Adam. Uh, we know we know of at least two crashes, and I think it's happened. 
Is it two or three crashes? I forget. Uh, there was that one at Autobahn, and there was that big one at Gingerman. Those are the yeah, two the, that I know of. But I thought there was a third I, I th- incident. I think there's been another one where sink, where the where the car itself hit the wall. Um, but yeah, two two of our like only I think there was only there's only been like four or five metal to metal like car to car incidents in Time Attack ever, out of like hundreds and hundreds of sessions, you know, um, and two of them were this. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's like it's fifty percent of all car to car contact in grid life time attack history is this. Yeah, so, literally electronic mechanical braking problems. Like, so that's what worries me about a lot of modern cars. Um, conversely, like they crash really well. You know that helps. They 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 can uh, they can contain the driver in a safe way when you, when they are flipping end over end, right? But like, I don't want them to crash into somebody else. <laughs> Or or at all, <laughs> so um, yeah yeah it it's uh, it actually became part of the drivers meeting um, when I when I did my drivers meeting rewrite version one for 2023 it's it's now in the meetings talking about you know breaking know your car know your ABS you know here's some of the common failure problems um, I'm not going to call out any cars in particular but I know BMWs have some of the modern BMWs like people have complained like this car just doesn't stop anymore. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Like I drove off a turn one because it it does this, does that, you know? So I, I've had worries it, me. I had it happen to me in the Evo, like I think twice. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of those instances was that, that time that I drove off into turn one on South Cor- or on, on full course at Autobahn. So that's like what, uh, what led to my uh, contact, which is the third of like four contacts in time attack uh, at grid life history. That was the first one we ever had. It was. Um, So like I hit the brakes, the car just didn't slow down, but I just drove straight off into the runoff area um, safely. But the, the same was true. I had a similar incident at um, Gingerman where I hit the brakes in um, 11 and the car didn't stop, but I just kind of like uh, took the 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 pit entry lane yep. exit road and like got the car under control and just drove into the pits. But like there were a couple of instances where I hit the brakes hard and there was just like the the pedal was it it didn't move because there was so much force uh, pushed back my direction that I couldn't apply the brake. I've I've heard also that like some modern ABSs like don't like some race brake compounds uh and like it varies car to car but like they don't like the release characteristics like the like it just doesn't behave well with some modern brakes which is very strange but it's it's a thing to worry about yeah. So yeah. yeah, some race pad compounds can completely confuse modern ABS a lot. Yep. So you have to be you have to be careful about that choice as well. You got to you have to have really good release on your uh, on your compound. It, it, uh, it, it also like, it's a thing that I think a lot of early people into HPDE and stuff like that, they don't think about, you know, they don't think about this stuff. They think about tires, they think about a helmet, they, they think about good fluids, which are all obviously the first steps that you need to think about. But like, there are some cars that you need to do a bunch of research on and you need to know what to avoid, you know, especially the more modern you get. You know, it seems like anything like post 2009, like the more modern you get, like you really need to know what buttons to push or like what to buy because it's like they're, it's different. It's not 1995 anymore. So, but, but it's also like those cars are also amazing uh, and they, 
they're yeah. very safe, yeah. which is huge. So, um, so you replaced yeah. uh, you replaced this Camaro. You didn't have anything for a while, and then you replaced it with uh, with what? <laughs> so, uh, I replaced it with a 2022 Mustang Mach One that has all of the the things that you would want on your Mach One to take it out on a racetrack or an autocross. And I wasn't even like I remember the first time I saw the Mach One. Um, I thought, well, that looks really good. I like that. That's good. But I really wasn't thinking about buying one. It like was not at the top of my list or anything. And then I got the 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 contact from our buddy Mike Sperber down at Ashboro Ford. Um, and he was like, hey, uh, I got this. Uh, I got this Mach One. It's got the Recaros and the Track Pack and all of this stuff on it. And uh, I was wondering if, if you're, you know, are you, cause I had talked to him about um, a GT350 a while back. Um, and that's actually uh, when I talked to him about the GT350 is when I ended up buying the ZL1. I went with the Camaro instead back in 2018, 2019. Um, I was like, nah, I don't know. And I looked at the listing and there was like all these Mach 1s. If you could find at the time, this was like August of this year if you can find one on the lot somewhere they were marked up like 10 to 20 percent over msrp and his was too it was like mike i'm i'm not gonna pay that much for that car and he goes oh no no that's not for you it's like oh great I'm buying a freaking mock one <laughs> man i wish i could so, find a dealer like that for me i'm so uh, frustrated disenchanted with the whole process that i feel like i want to just go buy a like a lexus hybrid and call it a day yeah, Abe's trying to buy a Type R or looking to buy a Type R, and like he can't find a Type R. <laughs> I've, I've already told it, it's going to be a minute before. I mean, you you have the mad rush for Type Rs right now, and you're just going to have to wait until that's over, and then things will be normal. So, and then uh, go but get I, one. I don't know. Go to a dealer, offer them ten percent off of MSRP. They'll sell it to you out the door. You go, but that's at least a year down the road. Well, so at I don't least. know what Maybe kind of crazy person would spend. Uh, I, multiple dealers have told me that their uh, dealer adjustment is twenty thousand dollars. So That's I don't insane. know what type of crazy person would spend fifty percent more on a car. Well, so the reason they're the reason they're doing it is because crazy people are doing it. So, but like uh, the bank won't give you a loan for that. So these people are paying cash. I guess. Probably. I, I don't know. Probably some of them. Abe, if you want a Mustang, I got a guy. I can hook you up. He'll make the deal with you. Th this was so easy to buy this car. I'm still like, it was like, I've bought pizzas that were more difficult than buying this car. I talked to Mike. He texted me some stuff. I looked it up on his website. I was like, all right, what if I offer you this much for it? And he goes, sure, good. We're good. It's like, really? Man, I should have offered less. Um, <laughs> so then I called him up. And we like I basically bought the car via text, but then I called him up just to verify everything, and we we had like a verbal handshake agreement. And, and I said, "Well, do you want me to send you any money as a deposit or anything?" He goes, "No, I know you're good for it. You can come pick it up. It'll be ready for you on Saturday." So I bought a one-way ticket. He picked me up at the airport, took me to the dealership, took like ten minutes to sign all the paperwork. We went to lunch together, and I drove the car back home. It was the best vehicle purchased in the history of man and he will offer the same service to any grid life buddies that i call him and tell him i have this grid life buddy he's coming to buy a mustang or an f-150 or a whatever michael do it for you too is mike um, only a ford guy 
And so he 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 owns a Ford dealership. No, in Ashburn, no, uh, no other uh, dealerships Ford. in the network. Just a Ford. I don't know if I'm shopping for any Fords. I don't know. <laughs> I <won't laughs> That's your problem, right there. <laughs> I wasn't either, and I got one. So, yeah. Turns out it's pretty darn good too. So the so. the big difference between you and me right now, Scott, is I believe you have a company car still. So the Mustang is just your f off car. Uh, oh. I, I need oh, a yeah. make, I need a a one make, car solution in my life. Let's make something perfectly clear. I have a a four wheel drive company pickup truck that is one hundred percent paid for that I can use for personal things if I want to, and that is what allows the freedom to do the dumb shit. Right. That's because so I don't. I need I, I need one car, a, my, and that's my daily why driver snow car is pro, is provided for me. So. Uh, for me, like high. it would be great if I had a car that could be autocross that could go to the track on occasion, but like also um, doesn't suck to drive every day. That's why the Type R is the top of the list. I can't think of any cars that are better at doing that um, that are in a price range that's reasonable. Um, uh, I, slightly used Audi RS3 if you're not glued to a stick. I am not glued to a stick. I think RS3s are awesome, but the... Uh, the current market for RS3s is pretty hot still. No, look again. It, it's crashed. Everything's crashed in the last couple of weeks. Well, my, the last my, time my, I looked at prices down, was, was when I talked. Things have gone with, down 10 to 20 grand in the past couple of weeks. Oh, Holy cow. I'm going to have to. My buddy has like a five-year-old uh, Golf R. And with a turbo and all the bolt-ons and a tune and all the things. And I cannot believe how capable that car is i can't imagine how fast an rs3 potentially could be uh, <laughs> like, RS3, i mean i love the five cylinder i have loved the five cylinder and i talk about how awesome the ttrs is uh have talked about how awesome the ttrs is on the show so like an rs3 would be a great choice um, mm-hmm. uh, if you can buy it at least a little bit depreciated the problem is in the last like five years, RS3s are going for basically what they did new. It might be changing now. Yeah. Well, like yeah, check, check check again, Abe, because also Audi's uh, CPO program is really really good. It's the same as Porsches. Mm. So um, yeah, if you could if you could find like a 2018 2019 RS3, you're going to get a good CPO warranty with it and a really good car and. That whole thing has started to get a little bit more realistic at this point. Like used cars actually have some depreciation attached to them. And this really has very recently happened. Yeah, so. I really need to keep an eye on it. Because I think I think an RS3 is actually better for the family because um, Ashley, if I buy the Type R, Ashley will not drive it as like a, a secondary vehicle. So like if I needed the van for something, uh, I would take the van but ashley couldn't drive the type r or wouldn't anyway but if i had the rs3 which has the dsg of course like she could still go out and do whatever with it she wouldn't be confined to home yeah she'd go run it run it for pants do burnouts stuff like that uh <laughs> would, would absolutely slay in the process <laughs> and, and, and as, as used car values get realistic again don't forget how much you liked uh renee's cadillac i really do like renee's cadillac i do what does she have? She had the TT or not the uh, the ATSV. She still have it. Or get rid of it. 
No, she she again made a lot of money on it and let it go at the peak That's of right. the year. So uh, Renee let me drive still it. Kind of regret, like, um, still kind of regrets letting it go, but she let it go. When uh, when I had the C class um, before the Giles had theirs, um, this was maybe a year or two ago. They stopped at my house and and I let them have the class C for the weekend to go to Autobahn. And Renee mm-hmm. left the ATSV behind and she said, drive it if you need to, no big deal. And you know, this is a, a four hundred and sixty or so horsepower V six, very cool. And I drove it and it, it was like the auto. There wasn't anything special about the car necessarily. Um, but I just I couldn't believe that Cadillac made that car. Like why does this exist? This is so silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because, it's, I, I saw it. A, I only saw it a couple times, and it, they're very pretty too. Like it was a cool car. I think you, yeah. first time I saw it, Scott, you took it to like the 2013 runoffs at Mid Ohio or something, and, uh, yeah. and we we just like met up and, and hung out there. It was 13, I don't know, 14, 15, yeah, it was, maybe. It was I forget. A 2016 car, so it was like 17 or 18. Oh yeah, it was probably sixteen because I was doing I did a podcast there, so it was definitely yeah, it was definitely later than I was thinking. But everything blurs together. But it was very cool. I think she had just gotten it. So I can I, I can declare that it will go 145 miles an hour down the back straight at Mid Ohio because I have had it on track at Mid Ohio, and uh, it's it's it rides like a Cadillac and it accelerates like a Camaro or a Corvette. It's a, it's a little bit dumb. Yeah, that's that engine is uh, it, it's it's not really been swapped into a lot of things, but it's a good engine supposedly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's the same three point six that they put in just about everything, but they slap two big turbos on it, and, and away she goes. And it's a it's a ripper, right? Yeah, they're yeah. real fast. I it's think with quick. just it's... a tune with a tune, people are doing like six fifty wheel out of them. So. That's so dumb. Yep, that's so dumb. So yeah, um, that's this all wraps into our. Why are modern cars so good? Conversation. So uh, they are. They're, there's. I, I like to tell people all the time that twenty years ago, if you had told me that I would have, I would ever own a Camaro or a Mustang for taking out on racetracks, I would laugh at you because they were stick axle heavy had good horsepower, but not a huge amount of horsepower. And you could, like, if you were a good driver, you could get in a stock Integra GSR and put some good tires, good brake pads on it, and go head-to-head with a Camaro or a Mustang at the time. And the only way they would get you is in a straight line. Like, they would jump you coming off corners, and they could get you top in. But you are better than them everywhere else. And it's not even close better than them everywhere well, else. And, and something and, like an Integra or Miata is, like, so much more fun to drive than, like, a 95 yeah. stock suspension Camaro. Like, yeah. stock for stock, they're so much more fun to drive on a racetrack, right? Like, they just, they just do things almost properly out of the box. But, like, that's the... Yeah, that's not the difference anymore. Like, what's that? Wait, you drove the you drove the Mach One at Pittsburgh. What's it like? That was I was really just breaking it in because it only had about five hundred miles on it. I wasn't really leaning on it at all. So it it drives way better. Here's it drives way better than a, a four thousand pound car should drive on a racetrack. And it was completely stock. It was as it rolled off of the dealer lot and I took it brake pads, tires, fluid, the whole deal and took it to pit race. And I think I did like four sessions on track and not winding it all the way out, not like challenging it real hard into brake zones, but it was not slow. 
And oh. you know, I, would, I would say the difference between it and the Camaro is just brutal horsepower. Like the Camaro had the horsepower on it because it had the supercharger and it has a 6.2 versus the 5.0. But in otherwise, the Mustang is a better car in every way. It handles better. It's more balanced. You can climb out the window with your helmet on if you need to. Um, there's no known issue with ABS trying to murder you. So, yeah, just flat out ballistic acceleration it's the camaro but for just overall can do everything really well car and at 480 horsepower it's not like the mustang is slow by any stretch of any imagination um but it's just really really good i mean it comes from the factory with adjustable front strut mounts up top where you can dial in one degree of negative camber or two degrees of negative camber just by clocking the the strut mounts that's Um, hilarious (laughs) yes so uh i want to interject on this story for one second at the request of uh one eduardo colazzo um weeks ago so I, i was messaging ed while you guys were talking uh asking about rs3 prices and uh Ed, you didn't waste any time on that, did you? No, uh, this is real-time information. Weeks ago, Ed told me that the market has cooled a little bit and normalized, but uh, broad market trends don't apply to specialty vehicles like things like RS3s. And so when I asked Ed just now about what's changed recently, all he did was sent me a screenshot of our own conversation and circled the part where he said that. <laughs> so they might not be dropping too much in Ed's world yet. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, I'm curious. Like, I'm curious where it'll go. You know? I want to, I don't remember the year of the mileage, but I want to say I've recently saw one listed for like 48 grand, which is a lot, but for an RS3, that's not a lot. So um, like after, you know, after a car has been purchased and picked up and cleaned up and whatever, um, I bet you could get a 33,000 mile RS3 for like 55. So it's still a lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of money, but it's, it's more, it's more than Abe wants to spend on a type R. So. It's, but that's what Abe would spend on a type R in order to get one right just now. About, yeah, he would just spend about. Less than what Abe would spend on a type R in order to get one. Yeah. So. I don't know. Poke around a little bit. Ed does know. I go to Ed he, for my information sometimes too. So Ed does know. He would know. Um, Ed, Ed, Ed is largely behind my other recent stupid purchase, which is difficult for me. I, so um, I bought a car as an investment for the first time in my life. And so that, that was literally the reason you bought it as an investment? Pretty much. Yeah, I bought it as an investment. I, I did some market checking and looked at what the asking price was and kind of went, well, crap, I'm going to buy that car. Because um, I don't I don't really think, unless I screw it up, I don't think there's any way I can lose money on it. And Ed completely agrees with that. And I'm going to trust Ed on that. Well, let's talk about that. That is an E46 M3 2002 with the CSL wheel package and otherwise, other than the exhaust, 
um, which it has, all the BMW guys tell me, uh, in terms of an upgraded exhaust on an E46 M3, it's got the right one. Uh, It's got a status group exhaust on it with a dual resonator, so it gets rid of that M3, E46 M3 raspiness, and uh, it makes it sound a little bit deeper, and it it has a little bit better sound to it. Um, But it is otherwise completely stock and in very good condition and uh, needs a little bit of TLC, but my goal with it is to, uh, this is the hard part. When I buy cars and work on them my whole life, I modify them, right? I make them better, put different suspension and bushings and this and that and whatever on them. Try to get a little more horsepower out of them. And the way to go on this one, really, to maintain its value is don't do that. Yeah, maybe undo things. I keep having to, like, slap the back of my own hand because I keep looking at stuff and going, ooh, I'm going to put some MCSs on it. No, no, you're not. It's yeah. not. That's not the way to go. Um, so the focus with it is to put the mo- put the investment money and effort to us to get it as close to back as it was when it was a brand new stock vehicle as I can, and then wait for the market to come to me. Which Ed says, a couple of years, I should be able to double my money. So where do you where do you like keep it safe in the process? Does it just sit in the garage with a cover on it, or what? It's well working on it right now. Uh, it's my winter project this year um, to try to do some of that TLC, get it back to the way it was, close to the way it was when it was brand new. Well, what about um, like all the all the stuff that the the enthusiast people do, like the Venus and the subframe reinforcements? Do you, do you have to do all that stuff, or do you not do it? You don't have to do all that, but doing all of that stuff is what gets the. That's what leads you to the person that does basically what Matt Farah recently did and just go, you know what? I want an as new E46 M3. All the work's already been done. I'll write the check. Mm-hmm. That That's what gets you there. And, uh, you, you know, and it does, some of those things have already been done to this car, but some of them still need to get done. It'd be a little um, bit like, it, um, uh, like really all of check. the cooling system mods that people do to 996 turbos and stuff like if you want yeah. a 996 turbo that's fresh, you you have to do that, and it's a big job. But like, if it's done, that is uh, something I think people will pay for. Yeah, like welding and welding or pinning the uh, coolant pipes into the block, or like simple dumb stuff that requires pulling an engine out of a 996. I think Aaron <laughs> told me that the like the cost to have a, a shop do that job is a lot. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's, yeah. you know, it's time that you don't have your car and all of that kind of stuff. So with an E46, there's really the big three. It's rod bearings, subframe reinforcement, and Vanos replacement. And this one has one of the three done already. The uh, the rod bearings? Yep. The, um, the subframe reinforcement, we've seen, like, people track them and have no issues. And then, obviously, we've seen people, like, buy one, and it's supposedly really good, and it's got cracks everywhere. Like, is there any kind of rhyme or reason that you've found in, in your early research here? <laughs> like, what makes that no, happen? And, and th- this is not my – I had uh, – I think this is before we even met, Adam. I had an M-Coupe a while back. and You, you still had it when I – yeah, you still had it when I knew you pretty well, and you sold it, like, what, five, six years ago? It was longer ago than that. But that was another case of somebody offered me a nice chunk of money on it, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll make yep. a profit on a car. He's not used to that. Um, 
So yeah, same issue. Rear subframe would tear on them, and you have to add the reinforcements. And it really does seem like you know I don't know if it was like what day they were made at the BMW factory or what production. I don't know, but it really does seem like some of them rip crazy, and some of them nothing happens at all. And uh, this one has been inspected, and I've gotten under there and looked at it really close with a flashlight and a magnifying glass myself. And it's pristine right now. There's no cracks. There's no issues. I haven't 100% decided yet if I'm going to just cross my fingers and go with that or if I'm going to go ahead and reinforce it before. any. Because if you're going to reinforce it, it's better to do it before it cracks and just keep mm-hmm. it from cracking. But it, it might be one of those cars that's not going to crack because right. some of them don't. But I don't know. That's a dice roll. And is there like a is there a good like non roll cage fix for that? Like just a bolt together kit? Because I yeah. I know a lot of people tie yeah. it into roll cages. We've seen a bunch of drivers do yeah. that. There's actually several kits available out. They're all welded, but okay. basically they're they're just they're pre bent plates that you put in there and weld them into place and then coat them. Right. Interesting. Yeah. What a weird problem. Your subframe cracks the unibody apart from itself. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was there. I was going to wave at him, but you guys are. Oh, is that Renee? Hey, Renee. Hi. <laughs> she just walked through my office. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. I mean, I've seen seen them in person and seen pictures of them that are just completely whacked. And there's just a huge crack in the subframe in the in the rear floor of the car. And then other ones, yeah, it's not a thing. So I don't know. I may talk. I may just buy a kit and talk Gordon into doing it one weekend or something. I don't know. He doesn't it, have anything uh, to weld. Does it seem like it's more uh, on tracked cars or is it just happens on streetcars too? Both. Really? There, there's like it seems like it's more likely depending on who you talk to, they will tell you that if you take it out on track, it is way more likely that those stresses are gonna cause it to crack, which makes sense. Right. But you also see it on cars that have never been on track in their life. So yep. I don't know. Maybe if you hit a That's really weird. bad pothole just the wrong way, it'll do it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. How many miles are on the thing? Uh just a tick over eighty thousand. Oh. Which Cool. Twenty year old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's not that that's bad. Not, that's not bad at all. Four, four thousand miles a year. <laughs> no, I've started going over it. It's not quite as clean as your Air Force pickup truck underneath, but it's pretty nice underneath. It's hey, not, wait, cool. What's the bad. status on the Air Force pickup truck? What's the status? Did I tell you that I got it running? <laughs> no, you didn't. I haven't talked to you about the pickup <laughs> since uh, Pike's Peak. He okay. told me that yeah, he got the... it like the happiest he's ever been. Dude, uh, so it's a six liter, six liter diesel. Um, accidentally bought it on a government auction because I bid on it because it looks so clean underneath. I thought there's no way this thing's not going to go for like less than 10k, and like I think I won it for 3,800 bucks or whatever. And turns out it's I mean it's a basic stripper truck. It's just no options to it at all, um, except for the diesel. And it's quad cab, two wheel drive, eight foot bed, which is like the that's the layout that I wanted um, for my next truck my someday truck whenever it gets done. Um, but it didn't run. There were no keys and the ignition cylinder was missing, which was weird. Um, and the FICM was missing, which is like the fuel injection control module or whatever, the, the ECU for the engine. 
Um, and uh, so I'm like, okay, I can buy keys on eBay, buy an ignition cylinder on eBay. That was like a hundred bucks, put that together, threw some batteries in it. Um, and then I discovered that the FICM was missing and borrowed an FICM from, uh, from our buddy, Andrew, who has the hearse, who always works grid. He's got a Del Sol that he drives a little bit too. Um, and uh, he works, he's worked in a bunch of diesel shops in Chicago. So he found one for me to borrow, put it in and cranked and cranked and cranked and nothing. Right. And I'm like, this, this, it's like, something's weird. It doesn't smell right. He's like, there's no diesel, like, soot out the and there's no like diesel cloud coming out the exhaust which it should be and so i pulled the fuel cap off and it's full of gasoline <laughs> so, <laughs> so so i i pulled uh i put, I put a, a piece of just hose on the input of, of the lift pump which is like basically like a it's like a high pressure fuel pump on the on the frame rail below the driver and just dropped it in a five gallon uh, gas can or fuel can of diesel um, pulled the fuel bowl, which is like the filter up in the middle of the V of the engine, pulled that uh, Turkey baster, uh, all a diesel gasoline mixture out and uh, filled it full of regular diesel, put that back together. And in like 10 cranks, the thing fired right up. <laughs> does, does, it not and, uh, thing, does it not have the diesel only sticker on the fuel filler cap? Oh, it's, it definitely has it, but you know, government employees, I guess, don't really care what they put in the, in the vehicle very much. So, um, so yeah, it, uh, and it also has only 40,000 miles, which is insane. Um, so it's an 07 with 40,000 miles and everything underneath is so like the frame is silver looking. It's not rusty at all, which is impossible. Like that's not a thing that happens even like in Arizona. So I basically had never seen the highway ever. It just drove around the air force Academy probably. Um, so I'm, I think I've got the engine sold to, uh, to a, a friend of a friend uh, for basically what I have into the truck. And then uh, the current plan is to, I got to pull it out in the next few weeks and then sell that. And then the current plan is to put a five, nine Cummins into it. Um, but then I'm also like looking at the fuel prices versus uh, gas prices, like diesel versus gas is pretty dramatic. And like, I would get, I would probably get 50% better mileage than like with a V10 Ford or, or I'm thinking even maybe a Godzilla 7.3 gasser. Godzilla is what you want. It's a, that's what you have in your RV. And Mike way, Taylor's got one in his truck. It is way better than the V10. Way. Yeah. But V10s cost like $8. That's the only advantage. Well, there's of a V10, reason but, they cost $8. Yeah, yeah. But those things would drop in basically bolt in place the wiring and the ecu and all that stuff with 7.3 that's like kind of the unknown but like it would probably be like buy a crashed truck with the 7.3 if i did it um but it's something i'm thinking about so i want to get the engine out get it sold get the truck cleaned up um i don't really need to like make a decision on it. it's not like i need it it's just in it's in a stall in my shop kind of like with my rv a little bit crooked with it so there's enough room to work on it and um it's it's kind of a long-term project but the 5.9 cummins is tempting because you know it's kind of like an apocalypse truck you can cut every wire in and it runs you know it's super simple they last a long time uh, i've got a clean engine i've had a clean engine for a decade sitting on the on the on the pallet rack at work but um the new 7.3 stuff is pretty i mean they don't get great mileage but you could total the world with it and uh they're they've they've dropped in price like 50% in the past six months because there's just becoming more and more and more of them. So um, do you have the uh, six speed behind yours or the, I think they have a 10 speed also. Yeah. Mine's a, mine's a Godzilla with a six speed and yeah, most of, most towing, of the van ones are six speeds. Towing uh, the Mustang back from pit race 
uh, with the in with a ten thousand pound RV that's a brick through the air, it got ten. That's um, that's not really bad. Good. That's not bad at all for a gasser V eight, right? So oh, by the no, way, Giles, really I haven't talked to you since pit race. I don't think um, I distinctly remember passing uh, you and the motorhome Dayton area, or maybe north North Cincy area at a at a phenomenal rate of speed. I honked as we went by. Yeah, I know. We waved. You were going so fast when we went by, you didn't see us wave. Well, I was in a minivan, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, they basically can travel at the speed of sound. Yeah, you you were in a minivan, yeah. and we were in an RV towing a 4,000-pound car, so we were not going the rate that you were going. But, yeah. I can, what's, I can what speed the, do you tow at with that? I can set the cruise control on, like, 67 68 miles an hour depending on what the speed limit is and uh it'll get 10 towing a four thousand. that's better um, that's, that's that's literally like 50 percent better than i thought it would be i thought it'd be like six seven no, and well and the v the v10 won't do that which is why they're eight dollars yeah that's definitely yeah. true because mine when i had it i think mine would get like seven yeah yours was an early v10 um Pretty early. It was like what, oh one, oh two? Uh I, I think it was two thousand. Okay. Yeah. So that wasn't it wasn't the later V ten, the three valve, it was probably the two valve, right? Probably. Um and uh, I mean it can tow whatever. It's just gonna it's gonna get terrible mileage and uh it, it's not gonna get there very quick up to speed, you know. So but yeah, that 7.3 is pretty tempting, and they bolt to like all the same trannies as the Mustang. You can like do a lot of stuff to them if you want. Um I could sell. Uh, I mean, I, I could sell enough stuff to buy one. Makes good noises, Adam. It does. Yeah, they do. I mean, even your RV sounds pretty cool at idle. I I remember when you it's, fired it up at Lime Rock. I'm like, that thing sounds pretty good. <laughs> so I was standing like right behind it when you fired it up. It's the best sounding RV yeah. I've ever heard, to be honest. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. I rad. don't know what exhaust um, is on that thing, but it sounds pretty rumbly. So uh, yeah, I mean, I could I could sell the six liter, I could sell the torque torque shift transmission, and that would probably be enough to get like a crashed truck from Copart, you know. So, so we're into this show for know. an hour and three minutes. Uh, do you want to uh, switch to another episode? I have an idea. Okay. I think we should do a Patreon show. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Uh, if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or don't. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but, feed, but feedback is good. Uh, mm, I don't know if I like pre- feedback. I'd, look, I'd like a rating. Uh, if, if Ratings are I feedback. Know, uh, I know, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. It's right around have, Christmas time. time Merry, time Merry Christmas or sure. happy holidays. Uh, to all those people internationally, thanks for listening. There are some of you I saw on our uh, our Spotify recap. There's There are people outside of United States and Canada that listen to this show. If you're one of those people, awesome. That is awesome, yeah, but it makes makes me wonder, what is what is wrong with those people? Why are they doing that? We uh, we have a we have a good friend in uh, in England that has flown over here multiple times yeah, well, because he found us. The the data would suggest on. that it's more than Richard in England listening to the show. He, it might be Richard mm-hmm. and some people. He he doesn't count because we know what's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot wrong with Richard. It's, it's the same <laughs> thing that's wrong with us. So he's he's just one of us. So so here's here's some demographics. 
Uh, 91% of our United Kingdom listeners or our, yeah, our UK listeners are from England, but we also have uh, listeners from Wales and from Scotland. Weird. Weird. What have you guys done? Now, we haven't even like talked about this show on Facebook in four years. Like, we don't promote anything. <laughs> we don't do any of that anymore. <laughs> It's, it's kind of like when I, so I was walking around at one point, I was walking around Circuit Legends this year. It was like, I think it was Friday evening. And I just had this loop of what in the world have we done going in my head over and over and over again, because it was unreal. The whole Friday evening was a great evening there. Yeah, the whole scene was unreal about how things were going down and how well the day had gone. And uh, Lime Rock was such a strange event because it wasn't a music festival, but the number of people in attendance and how busy the paddock was and the number of spectators, like everything felt like this is a festival weekend. Mm-hmm. It was great. And that's what we want to do. We want to do that four times a year. So I'm still yep. not over it. But, I'll live Watkins Glen, Lime Rock, when make mid Ohio that. Um, what's the other one? I forget. CMP. And then uh, and then obviously Midwest and then uh, the newly announced Laguna will be music festivals and so yeah. Pretty wild. If we can actually pull off what we did at Lime Rock last year four times at four different locations this year, I'm going to make you su- celebrate success in some sort of way, Adam. <laughs> I, I've seen behind the curtain enough that it's really hard to be successful in any of this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but but uh, we're still a company, so that's a plus. So. Yeah. Even even with tracks wanting 20 to 50% more uh, sometimes now, which is going to suck for 2023, but <laughs> we'll get there. So. All right. So, uh, Adam, tell everyone goodbye and happy holidays, and then we'll switch over. All right. I, I'm going to pour a new coffee, too, by the way. So. I hope everybody has the best holiday. The holidays. We have a, we have several of them in a row here. So depending on your religious affiliation. So happy holidays, y'all. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out, Scott. And we'll uh, yeah. Let's. I think we do a. I think we do a, a podcast right after this for Patreon where we complain about rules and the creation of said rules. I am. <laughs> All right. We're gonna end right here. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit Grid Live to say hello. Hello.